the problem is, is rents were appreciating, interest rates were appreciating greater, so the cash flow couldn't catch up to the interest rates. So the deal started not to pencil so quickly. So people start to sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, I need to see some stability on the interest rates. That's one side of it. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest, Marsha Kaufman. Marsha is an expert in lending, and, and she's going to lay that out today, the lending landscape and uh, 30 years plus experience. So this is what most of you or many of you have been asking for. She's the CEO of Bayport Funding. Has grown the firm by 40% since, since she's been there. Closed over $250 million across 220 transactions last year, uh, listed in Housing Wire, Connect, Commercial Real Estate, uh, and other publications as a leading woman of influence and top performing lender uh, in the tri-state area. So three plus decades of experience in the mortgage banking and real estate industry. So ultra experienced uh, leader here uh, in this space. Uh, and Marsha dives into that and, and shows that today, no doubt about it. Uh, you're going to hear her today and tomorrow. We're going to dive into the lending landscape, but also what's caused the 40% growth. And you're going to hear so much experience come out and, and, and just leadership, you know, her ability to lead and, and what she has done to grow has been incredible there at Bayport. Marsha, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I love having guests on who have been in the business a long time and, and with your level of expertise and experience, especially uh, talking about a, a topic that's it's on everybody, everybody in this industry. Anyway, it's it's high, right? High on their list of wanting to know more about and have having lots of questions. So, thank you for being on the show. It's great to be here, Whitney, and thank you for having me. Yeah, honored. Uh, we're honored to have you. Well, I want to jump right in. You are an expert, no doubt about it, in just uh, in lending, right? And been in this business a long time. And you even mentioned, you know, this is one of your superpowers is the the lending landscape. And I think that's what everybody wants to hear anyway. So I want to just jump right in. Uh, why don't you paint that picture for us a little bit right now on the current, you know, landscape around lending and, and some things that we should know as buyers and, and uh, but and let's get started there. Well, an expert, I appreciate that, you know, vote of confidence. I've been in lending for over 30 years, really in the commercial sector for the past 10 years. And when the Fed started their interest rate hike campaign and interest rates started to soar, people started to panic. For me, it's a market. I started lending when interest rates were 18%. So when rates are at 7%, it seems like a really you know, good environment. However, as you know, when everybody enjoyed two to three percent interest rates over the past couple of years, they lost sight of what a, you know a very stable, normal lending environment is. Yeah, that you know to think about eighteen. I always remember the story my my in laws talk about when they bought their first house, and I think they assumed the debt because I think it was seventeen or eighteen percent, and they were thankful to get <laughs> or sixteen, seventeen, something like that. Correct. So right now, at while you know, with the Fed interest rate and the ten, you know, commercial loans are normally tied to a ten-year bond, and when the bond started to inch up on the yield, interest rates rose pretty quickly. The difference in this market compared to other types of the cycle where interest rates are up and down is this was a pretty quick rise. They went up very quickly. Interest rates normally go up very quickly and come down very slow, but this was a pretty rapid acceleration and it caused a pause when people started looking for opportunities and to see if they were worthwhile with this current interest rate environment. 
Yeah. Walk us through that a little bit, maybe even the repercussions of, you know, them going up so fast that maybe, you know, like we haven't seen that, you know, in the past. So the repercussions are when people, when investors or, you know, developers are looking for a multifamily opportunity, they'll take a look at it from obviously from a cash flow economics perspective, including debt yield and cap rate. And one of the key factors in analyzing a, a transaction is the current interest rate. So when interest rates are very stable, it's it's pretty relatively easy to analyze the deal makes sense to invest in. We've seen an appreciating real estate market in the last 10 years, like we haven't in a very long cycle. Normally there's always a bell curve. It comes up every 10, comes down, it's, you know, there's that curve. This was a very long time on the curve. So people were buying into opportunities and appreciation. As soon as interest rates start to increase, they start stop buying into an appreciating real estate market and into a more normalized market. And what does that all mean in basic, you know, in basic language? So in basic language, it means that you know you're looking to acquire a multifamily property. Interest rates are two and three percent. Rates are rate rents are rising rapidly nationally. Rents have increased national rapidly. So when you acquire property, you acquire it. You'll renovate a couple of the apartments so that you can increase your rents and you'll buy that asset based on appreciating rents after you renovate those properties and re-rent them. The, the, the problem is if rents were appreciating, interest rates were appreciating greater, so the cash flow couldn't catch up to, to interest rates. So the deal started not to pencil so quickly. So people start to sit on the sideline and say, you know what, I need to see some stability on the interest rates. That's one side of it. The other side of the concern was, okay, usually on commercial loans for multifamily, they're, they're term loans. There are three, five, seven, 10-year terms, and then they mature, and then you have to refinance. Well, if you acquired that property when interest rates were between 3 and 4%, and now you have to refinance around 65 to 7%, can you refinance with the current loan balance without bringing equity to the table? Will the rents support, with the rents rising, will they support the current interest rate environment? So there was a lot of concern in the market. There was a lot of concern in the market. And I see, think the fear has really stabilized. The rents have really been able to keep pace with the increased interest rates. And we're not seeing that many people on refinances having that big a problem yet. I don't know what the future brings as all these loans start to mature. But right now we haven't seen you know, the, the people, there was major concern in the market. I think that has softened quite a bit, has tempered. Is that a surprise maybe that you haven't seen as many issues as maybe expected or maybe they weren't expected? You know, is it a surprise? You know, I, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. Have we not seen a surprise or have we not seen a surprise yet? Yeah. It's the beginning. As I said, we're seeing the 10-year bond start to come down a little bit and interest rates come back down. I'm sure that's causing a lot of ease of the concern. So it all also depends on how did that sponsor buy that property? Did he buy it? Did he cash out and take all the equity out? Did the sponsor keep low leverage so that they're, you know, so the rents really, you know, kept pace with the current interest rates? They didn't take all their cash out. There's a lot of different variables when we're analyzing what will happen, you know, and what will happen. Who are, you know, or I guess what are the situations now that you see that are, are the operators that are in the best seat, right? Or, or are they prepared for this? Well, you know, what's the difference in them and maybe the ones that, like you talked about, maybe they their rents won't support, you know, a refi? 
So the different, the key factor I think is, you know, was the sponsor really experienced? Did they have a track record? Do they understand the asset class they were buying in? Did they not seek really high leverage when financing a deal? You know, you saw a lot of newcomers come into the real estate multifamily market in the last number of years because there was so much opportunity. Everyone thought it's so quick, so easy. Oh, let me buy a property, multifamily, whether they were using their own equity or they were syndicating a deal, right? And we'll just, you know, we'll buy them, we'll get the rents up, we'll refinance, return all the, you know, give great returns back to our investors. And it was, it was wild for a while, right? Well, now it's not that quick. It takes a little longer to perfect their business plan. They may not be returning those type of returns so quickly right now. Investors may have to stay in their deals a little bit longer, which is truly what a multifamily deal should be. It's not a fix and flip deal. It's a long-term play. So, you know, these are all things that I think um, we're seeing. Um, but a very experienced sponsor who looked at a multifamily opportunity has that track record and that experience, just like I do. I've been through many cycles of real estate. So I look at lending from a conservative, aggressive conservative perspective. We understand that prices could come down, rents could come down, interest rates could come up. So we don't look to lever people very high. As a bridge lender, we'll be a little higher leverage because we're lending to the value added and how they can exit our loan. But we also take into consideration as the market starts to change, what factors did we have to consider? So let me expand on that just a little bit. So when the Fed started to their, started their interest rate campaign, Bayport is a bridge lender. We'll take um, a sponsor who's looking to buy a multifamily um, building, will identify an asset um, and might need short-term debt to add value by renovating pro the, the apartments, raise the rents, and then they'll exit to a permanent loan from either a bank or an agency loan or a CRE loan or insurance fund or something of that nature. So when the Fed started raising rates about 18 months ago, to 14 months ago, I told my chief credit officer to start adding 200 basis points to interest rates a while ago. And my office was in an uproar. Up my originators were like, our deals won't pencil, we won't capture deals. And I said, the best deal we do is the deal we don't do. Right. That's and we're right. not do, right. And we're not doing an investor a favor by putting them into a deal they can't get out of. We have responsibility. So we were very proactive in really modeling to a larger spread. And we also we're the typical debt service coverage ratio. You look at 1.25. I told my staff model it 200 basis points wider, do 135, just add some cushion because we don't know, know how long the Fed will. Um, start this campaign, how long rates will stay high. And we want to make sure that the borrowers can exit our bridge to a permanent loan. Long story short, it was the right thing to do. Um, as the Fed slowed their campaign, we eased up on that 200 basis points to 150, 100. Now we still are about 50 basis points above the current spreads. And we're back down more to 125 because we're seeing it's covering. And it actually worked out very well for us as a lender. We're a balance sheet lender. It's our own money. And it worked out very well for our investors or our sponsors, rather, who went out and identified opportunities that they bought a good opportunity.
Yeah. Wow. No, appreciate you diving in there. I, I think it's it's hard uh, oftentimes to to keep up with what's happening or what the Federal Reserve is doing and what that means for us. And and yeah, I uh, I've heard more and more talk about you know the the caps that are coming due and and whatnot, and people can't afford them. You know, and you you briefly talked about you know you can't afford the refi or whatever. But there's there's many issues on the debt side. And, and one thing I wanted to mention that you said even earlier, you know, you talked about sponsors that have the experience. You know, typically will have the lower leverage as well. And and on and on, you know, different people I've interviewed. Even recently, as we're talking about risk and people that have been in the business like yourself, 30, 40 years. And one of the biggest things they say is low leverage, low leverage, low leverage. And, and so I just, it just keeps hitting me in the face and I'm glad it is right as an operator myself. And so, you know, but, it, but it's tempting, right. When things are just going amazing or well, how much, you know, how high a leverage can we put on something? Right. And, and that's, you know, you're not thinking long-term, right. You're not thinking about the potential downside in that moment. Correct. And as a lender, you know, we're competing for deals, for originating deals out there. And we're sticking to our credit guidelines, our underwriting guidelines. And we have long-term borrowers that have been with us for many, many years. And we'll hear many times that the guy, you know, the lender down the road is going to offer more leverage. And for a moment, you take pause. Are they smarter than we are? Right. Are we willing to lose a borrower to a lender who's a lot more aggressive or, you know, much given more leverage, you know, or may underwrite to a lower debt service coverage ratio or, you know, lower cap rates. And as as a lender, you really have to take, you say, what do we do here? It's very hard at times when you're trying to build volume as a lender to stick to those strong principles. But if you don't stick to those principles, you're not going to be in business to talk about it. But as you know, or as everybody knows, there's been a lot of liquidity in the market over the past seven years. Everybody, Wall Street's come in very heavily, insurance companies, the market's been very liquid, and the deal flow has been very strong. And in order to compete for deal flow, it's a couple of things. either lower interest rates, higher leverage, more flexibility on sponsor experience, all the things of the bells and whistles that create, you know, should we be doing those deals? Ding, 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 ding. And yet we have to do business. You know, I have, you know, a partner, a board that I report to. They're always discussing how's volume, how's origination, how's performance, how's our, you know, our assets under management performing. And it's, it, you got to balance that as operating a company. No doubt about it. And and I want to get to some of that in a bit, maybe in the next segment, just so the listeners know, just the operation side of a company and how you have grown uh, what 40%, I think, you know, the business since you've been there. So I'm wanting to get into that. But before we do, maybe it's a good time for you to speak to say private, you know, lending versus say larger institutions and maybe some of the benefits, you know, of that. I know many operators, you know, listen to the show and, and may have used both, but but maybe it's a good time for you to elaborate a little bit. Great. So when the Fed started their interest rate um, hike, and we saw a couple of banks um, had um, some difficulty, I'm not going to get into those names, we all understand who they are. And banks in general started to have pencils down on commercial lending, they were taking a pause, either they had to increase their deposits, or for whatever reason, they took a pause or were slowing down, maybe they want to see how their assets under management were performing. You know, we're an alternative lender, we're a private lender. And we have liquidity. We're here to lend money. So we were here to support borrowers and sponsors in their real estate opportunities. So uh, private lenders, alternative lenders like Bayport, were are, are doing very, very well. 
people may say were a little more expensive. It's not really the case, especially as interest rates have risen. But you know, we have seen a big uptick in inquiries and business with the market the way it is. The flip side of that, we've also turned away more, more loans than we've actually done because some of those loans are refinances of loans that are either not just a maturity default, might have an event default. So we've been very careful about the loans that we are putting on our books, but we've, we, are, we are there to support the sponsors with their good opportunities and their good loans. We're also there to support the sponsors who have maturity defaults, but they just they just couldn't get their deal done on time. So they've performed very well at their current lenders. They might be mid-construction or mid-renovation. Um, they need a little more time. Maybe they had building department delays or supply chain issue delays, and they just need a bit more time to complete their project. We've seen a big uptick in those type of loans come across our desk, and we've actually originated quite a number of those. That's been very good for us um, from a business perspective during these times. Yeah, yeah, I, I it's such a relationship business, right? Very and so. I, you know, I love the you know having the expertise of of our lender to underwrite our deals, right, and, and give feedback. I love that. I love more eyes on that and experienced you know teams like yourself who have been doing this even you know a lot longer than we have as well. So when they push back on something, yeah, it it, it sharpens our knife, right? It sharpens our our pencil, I should say, and, and so we get better, you know, at underwriting. And I bet I bet at many of those deals that you didn't do, you know, those operators may not have done it, but they're probably thanking you now. <laughs> Right. You know, they're, they're thinking, man, you know, I, I, they did me a favor by turning them away. So. Right. And you just, you brought up a very important point. You know, there's no substitute for sponsor experience. There is none. You know, we meet and speak to every sponsor that we lend money to. People think that's archaic, but it's not. We want to look at them in the eye. We want them to express verbally what their business plan is. Talk about their experience. There's no substitute for that getting to know somebody. Either it's done in person via Zoom, or we'll go, to, if it's out of our, our home geographic, we'll get on a plane or a train and go visit them, look at their project. We want to know where we're deploying our money and who we're deploying it to. And I would think equally important to a sponsor, mm -hmm. as if we're going to a private lender or alternative lender, you want to know who you're borrowing money from. Do they have the capacity to deploy? You don't want, a sponsor doesn't want to take down a loan and have construction or rehab money and not understand how that draw process money is um, deployed to them and how that affects their, their loan and their timeline. So, you know, it's very important for that sponsor-lender relationship getting to know them, meeting them in person. It's a very mutual relationship. Yeah, you know, we we've created a relationship with a with a lender lender that's our good I'm friends with the owner and stuff and and over time, right? And as they've gotten to know us, you know, we had not done a deal with them yet, but we we had another lender back out two weeks before closing and they had backed out almost 500 loans, you know, at this time, it wasn't anything just about us. Uh, and so it was right. a massive ordeal. Right. But this relationship, you know, of this, uh, this new lender came in and closed, you know, within two weeks for us. So, but it was, yeah, it was a relationship that we had built over, you know, a quite a long time. And so I can't speak enough about what you just said, just the relationship meeting and, you know, and just, you know, doing, 
life, some life together, right. To get to know each other, right. Yeah. Before, before you're in a crunch situation like that, then you're, you're calling Marsha and you're trying to figure that out and you only have two weeks. Uh, well, but with uh, me to that point also, you know, that's the difference with an alternative lender is that timeline as opposed to going to a traditional bank. Um, if you were in that bind and you came to a, an alternative lender, private lender, like a Bayport, and you said, I have to close, I have a time of the essence. I need to close in two weeks. No problem. As long as we have that appraisal and title and we can really get your information in, that is a tremendous um, asset that we lend to our sponsor, that timeliness of being able to close quickly. Yeah. It's a story yeah. we hear all the time. I bet. I bet it is. It has to be. You know, what about, you know, speak to the Federal Reserve a little bit and activities, you know, the, what they do, right? How that affects a multifamily and, and maybe your expectation, you know, over the next six, eight, 12 months. Well, you know, everybody always asks me, you know, what do I think rates are going to do? I don't know. You know, rates are going to go up. They're going to come down. My crystal ball doesn't work on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Catch me maybe on a Friday. But, you know, you know, the Federal Reserve, you know, there's, there's a campaign because they, they have to control the inflation. We, we're seeing some very good indicators. I think the employment numbers came out today. All those, you know, um, high unemployment is good for interest rates, you know, good for the economy, you know. I think I think that we're going to see. We don't. I I don't know where they're going. We I I believe that we should see softening. Hopefully within you know, I would say eighteen months or so. Some people say they're going to start to see a softening. You know already. You know you ask three people the same question, you're going to get four different answers, right? But it it had to. The Fed had to raise rates. Did they do it too aggressively? Inflation was out of control real estate prices, appreciation were out of control, rents were out of control. There was a need. This is not the first time that we've seen this. You know, as rates go up, values come down, things come back in line. Although in some parts of the country, we haven't really seen, you know, home prices come down or values come down or rents come down. That has to do largely also because we have a housing supply shortage in the United States. And that, that's a big problem. So geographically, depending on where we're lending or where people are borrowing, you know, it, it depends on where the, the geographic. On the East Coast, you know, housing supply is is tight. You know, if we just talk besides multifamily, on the on the one to four family side, there's a housing shortage, right? A home goes on the market, it goes right away. So we haven't seen home prices come down really aggressively. In more densely populated condo, you know, areas, urban areas, have we seen those type of prices come down? Yes. In the multifamily sector, have we seen rents really top out? I think they're topping out, but we're still seeing slight appreciation, not the not the way that it was before. And um, then you have geographic areas where, or you know, government um, situations where government governmental controls, where you might have rent stabilization or rent controls, um, and those lead to a whole bunch of other issues. Right. Um, in the New York area in particular, they did away with the 421A. So that's been a, a problem where sponsors or developers would come in and build a new multifamily with an affordable um, factor because they had this 421A tax abatement. Um, New York's done away with that. So it's been, uh, it has been a real incentive for sponsors to come in and build new multifamily because there's no tax abatement and the numbers don't make sense. So it depends on where the geographic area is and, you know, and, and that has a lot of effect on it as well. There's not a lot of incentives. Yeah. Where do you see 
uh, I guess the most activity, right. Uh, or the most, you know, or from multifamily, uh, as far as, you know, different parts of the country or, you know, places that are, that are still moving or not. Well, we're seeing wherever we saw a huge migration from a, from migration, like New York, you saw a lot of, and, and, and California, you saw, you saw a lot of migration to Florida and to Texas, right? So, and it's not just in Florida in particular, it's not retirees. They're young families, people starting their careers, moving their families down there, and they have a housing need. And their, their population levels have really exploded and continue, continue to increase. So those areas we're seeing, we're supporting, especially we're, we do a lot on Florida. We don't lend, we don't lend in, in Texas. Actually, we do t- Dallas. We've actually moved into Dallas and we do some, we see a lot of opportunities there as well. But we're seeing in the areas where the politics are right and the, the, the real, and the income taxes are correct for much more take-home pay for our, you know, for people. We've seen that population migration and therefore they need a lot more multi um, need in those areas. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Think through that. Yeah, where people are going. Uh, obviously, they need more housing. And like you said, there's there's definitely a shortage. You know, earlier you mentioned, you know, you all having a, an aggressive conservative perspective. And I appreciate that. I even just saying it like that as well. I just think, you know, as a, a buyer comes to you, what's helpful for them to know uh, as far as exactly what you're looking for? Because I, I think we should have the same perspective, right? You know, as a buyer, can you elaborate uh, just on what that means even more so? So, you know, buyers understand as they're looking at deals. So as they're looking at a deal, first, they should be prepared. We want to know what's your business plan, you know, what's your plan? And we're going to do a deep dive, as I mentioned before, into the sponsor's experience. We want to know about their management. Are they owner-managed? Do they use an outside management company? Do they have proof of concept with similar type of transactions? We want to see that track record with their proof of concept. Are they building for appreciating real estate rentals or are they, are they, I'm sorry, are they acquiring for appreciating real estate rentals or are they acquiring based on a slight increase and do the deals pencil out at those numbers at today's interest rate? So we look at all those factors overall. It's just not the asset and the cash flow itself, right? Because you could have a really great asset with great cash flow and you can have a sponsor come in and muck that up right? They just mismanage. They don't understand what they're doing. And they've taken a piece of gold and they've turned it into dust. So you can, you know, as a, as a lender, we, we take a look at the whole gamut. So, you know, what I've been telling everybody today is when I look at a multifamily deal, if a multifamily deal pencils today at today's interest rates, at today's increased insurance rates, at today's, you know, adding a little more extra capex because there's always something unknown. If a deal pencils today from a cash flow perspective without looking for, I'm going to re-rent those apartments at 20, 30% more, and the sponsor has that track record, track record, that proven experience, has his management team either internally or externally in place, that's a deal I want to lend to. Because the interest rates will come down over time, may, may not come down to two or 3%, but may come down over time in the next two years, two three years, 200 basis points, and they refinance, it's only going to become a stronger asset. We love those type of deals. No, that makes makes sense. Man, does it work today? Does it cash flow? That's less risk, right? right? We're not counting on, you know, interest rates coming down in the next six months or, you know, getting a refi, right? You know, sooner than 
may it might not happen. <laughs> you know, what right. about what about those that haven't done a deal like that before? You know, everybody's like, well, well, Whitney, you know, how do I get started? Right. And and it, and it's not so much the how you get started conversation, but how do you get the debt? You know, if you haven't done that type of deal before, what does that look like? I'm sure you have people approach you all the time that you know, that maybe don't have that proof of concept, right? Or done it before type of asset, you know, behind, under their belt. So Whitney, that's, that's a phenomenal question. So because I've been lending for such a long time, people always come to me and say, how do I get into it? Wow. It looks like, you know, real estate, it, you know, builds generational wealth or I make so much money if I sell that asset, you know, everything looks easy when you're the outsider, right? Or I, ha- it's a crazy story. I have a friend of mine who works in a clothing store and the guy that owns it decided to syndicate a deal. Multifamily guy had no multifamily experience before. He's going to syndicate a deal in North Carolina with his son and comes to the people that works for him to put money in the deal. It's bizarre. And this woman had money from inheritance. And I said, I wouldn't do a deal like that. First, I wouldn't do a deal unless unless someone had deep experience. And sure enough, she invested in the deal and she hasn't really talked much about how it's doing because I'm not really, you know, just leave it at that. So we also have investors or borrowers, we call them investors, but borrowers who we lend to for, they buy one to four family. They start out their career and one to four family fix and flip. Now, these are not people that are sitting home watching HDTV. These are, these are, you know, those, that's my worst nightmare. So these are people that started out, they buy a house, they fix and flip, they do two, they do 10, they do 20. We have borrowers that have done 50, 100 deals. And then they, you know, then, then they say, you know what, I want to move up to do a bigger deal. They take a two family, they make it into a six unit or they convert to a condominium. And then they'll say, you know, it's just as easy to do an, you know, a six unit. Let me do a 20 unit, a 14 unit, a 25 unit. And they build their experience very methodically and very carefully getting their, their experience on their belt asset by asset. They don't go out and buy, you know, a hundred unit multifamily building. We like those borrowers because they've learned very carefully. We've supported them. And some of those borrowers that we've supported are doing tremendous, are tremendous multifamily owners today. Um, nationally, some just are more geographic to a certain area. And that's a great borrower. They, they've learned the hard way. They understand every asset of operating, building, acquiring. They've gone through the pitfalls. You know, even for myself, just on a little sideline, you know, when the whole residential mortgage um, industry imploded in 2007, 2008, I started my career on the resi side. And when the world imploded, I kind of sat aside for a while and started buying one to four family homes in Brooklyn, Bronx, and Queens in New York and to fix and flip. There weren't a lot of women doing it. I was probably the only one. And I bought over, I would say, over a year and a half, about 50 houses. Well, let me tell you something. One of my houses was my biggest education. Everything that could happen to it happened. I had the wrong contractor. I didn't have one wrong contact. I had two wrong contractors. You know, I couldn't, I had a deal to sell the house that fell apart. And it was really my education. And by the time of that one one piece that really was my education, um, I, I I never had a problem with any of my properties again. I, it, was, it was great. I learned tremendously about how to acquire, how to manage construction, how to build the right team, how to um, flip the property. It was really a great experience. So it goes the same on the multifamily side, right? We don't, I don't want to lend to somebody who's in, in you know, has a, owns a pharmacy. We see this a lot. They own a pharmacy 
and um, they don't own the real estate that the pharmacy's in. They're actually renting, so they don't own the building. And now they have cash and they want a multifamily property and they go out and they buy it. They have no idea how to manage it. Somebody told yeah. them it's a great idea and they fail at it. You know, it ends up costing them more money. They don't know how to do the repairs. They don't know how to do the CapEx on it. They don't know how to handle the rents. God forbid somebody doesn't pay and it's in a judicial state. They don't understand what it takes to evict somebody. So if you're in a judicial state, your tenant's almost your partner, right? So they don't have that knowledge. You know, the best, if somebody wants to come in, the best thing is to partner with somebody who has experience, but really yeah. partner with them. Um, you both should have, you, you know, um, cash in the deal. Don't just bring a partner in if he doesn't have any skin in the game, so to speak, or she doesn't have any skin in the game. You both want to be investors in that deal and you want to bring your expertise to the table. If their expertise is they've had the multifamily and the management and your expertise is that you have the cash, know what you bring to the table and pick the right partner. And also pick that if the partnership doesn't work, make sure in that agreement, in your operating agreement, make sure you have a good divorce clause in that operating agreement. So make sure you have great representation when you're entering into a situation like that. Very wise, very wise counsel, uh, definitely very experienced counsel. No doubt about it. I couldn't not agree more with all of that, especially uh, finding a partner more experienced and and having that strong divorce clause. Because unfortunately, it happens more times than not, I feel like, in, in a lot of business ventures, right, that it, that it doesn't work out for one reason or another. But yeah, it's and that's done ahead of time, right? When you when right. everything seems rosy, right? Uh, before before those times happen. But if you so if you don't have experience, I, I, I yeah, you need to find somebody that does. And I can say that in numerous respects to commercial real estate, you know, where I didn't feel like I had the experience, and and we found people right to be on the team and partner with us, and and that did have the years of experience in that area that I did not. Well, Marsha, we're going to end this segment here. I'm grateful for your time uh, today, and with the listeners know, we're going to come back tomorrow with another segment. Uh, with Marshall, we're going to continue the conversation. We're also going to dive into what contributed to 40% growth at Bayport uh, funding since she's been CEO. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that conversation uh, for sure. Uh, Marsha, how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? So a great way to get in touch with me is um, through our website at bayportfunding.com or to call me at area code 516-441-5888. 516-441-5888. I know a telephone sounds like old fashioned, but we'd like to talk to everybody. Or you can email me at Marsha at bayportfunding.com. And Marsha is M-A-R-C-I-A at bayportfunding.com. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 